Today's episode is brought to you by Rip Van Winkle. Because maybe it's the depression talking, but sometimes going to take a nap and waking up 20 years later sounds like it might be enough to stop feeling tired for once. But if one man can miss two decades on a nap, imagine how much one robot could miss in a hundred years. Because that's basically the premise of 2002's Mega Man Zero on this episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Garlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred-plus games in between as I can. Today, we're kicking off the... what is this now? Classic X Legends Battle Network. The fifth sub-series in the Mega Man timeline with Mega Man Zero. With the X-Series starting to uh, falter and stumble, and also having been left at, honestly, a pretty good stopping point, whether you want to consider that stopping point to be X-5's Zero's dead, Sigma's gone, and the world is completely shattered, or X-6's Zero sealed himself away to try to cure the Maverick virus, that's up to you. With the series starting to flag a little bit, it was decided that they would attempt to carry on Mega Man in a fresh format on the fairly still brand-sparkling new Game Boy Advance. But rather than simply porting the classic games or continuing the classic series or something, they wanted to take the new hardware as an opportunity to do something new, hence Mega Man Zero was born. A 2D platformer that is still going to recognizably play and handle like a Mega Man game in some ways, but is going to be a pretty significant departure in others. The best demonstration of this departure is literally the opening moments of the game. We're treated to a mixture of still-image cutscene graphics and animated sequences built using the game's sprites as a group of soldiers and a young woman flee from a bunch of robots and soldiers who are literally gunning them down. I specify gunning them down because, like, you watch people die in this opening sequence. This game immediately sets out to be like, hey, this is going to be a little bit more dramatic and serious than what came before. The last survivors of this group, including the young scientist lady, whose name is CL, end up finding an abandoned laboratory to hide in for a few moments, whereupon they stumble across a deactivated and damaged reploid by the name of Zero. Zero doesn't quite look like the Zero as we knew him from Mega Man X. Zero had a very red and white color scheme, whereas this one has like still has much of the same red over armor, but the undersuit is just black and all the white tones are gone. Signature blonde hair is still here, but it is a bit of a redesign. Nonetheless, apparently, Zero's the legendary reploid that they've been looking for. As their attackers chase them down into the lab, CL's Cyber Elf companion. Uh, Cyber Elves are like these floating, sparkly entities that apparently have the ability to give their powers to others, but consume their own life in the process. And that's literally all we're going to learn about them in this game, by the way. I'm pretty sure the Cyber Elf explanation and lore comes later in the series, but CL's Cyber Elf companion gives her own life to power Zero back up. That's where our gameplay kicks off, is as Zero raises back up and pretty much on instinct grabs a gun from a fallen soldier and proceeds to lead CL out of the lab. This leads us to our opening stage, a extremely basic run left to right type of stage, where we gun down a handful of enemies in the process and eventually end up fighting a boss. During that boss fight, we're unable to really hurt it that much until... In the back, on one of the computer screens in the lab, we see the image of some unknown entity that proceeds to basically toss Zero his Z-Saber, and that's enough to deliver one final strike and finish off the boss. Taking a teleporter from there, back to what is apparently a resistance base, we get our full setup for this game finally explained to us. CL is a Reploid, and her and a number of other Reploids are hiding out in this base as a resistance against Neo-Arcadia. Neo-Arcadia is apparently the civilization of humans that has formed and flourished as best they can in the wreckage of the world left behind by X-5's giant world-ending disaster. When the colony fell and kind of obliterated the planet for, you know, a good hundred years, and the planet's still recovering from that. The reason that they are a resistance hiding out, though, is because apparently there's an energy crisis ongoing. 
and the leader of Neo Arcadia has basically decreed that Raploids will be decommissioned and shut down in order to, like, free up energy resources for the humans to use. Oh, and the big kicker? The leader of Neo Arcadia is apparently X. So, yeah, suffice to say, just from this opening sequence, you can tell that this is going to be um, a little bit different of a game. We have people dying in the opening cutscenes. We have noticeably more emphasis on story this time. Cutscenes at the start. We have interjections of story in the middle of the opening stage. We have a whole bunch of mysteries set up for us. Probably one of the most telling bits is that when we defeat the boss of the first stage, we don't actually even just get like instantly teleported back to a stage select menu. We have to walk over and activate a teleporter in a room behind him, and we have like a whole base to walk around and people to talk to. And Zero takes a very different approach to X in general. Instead of a story kind of as a background element, Zero kind of takes the story as a foreground element. Mega Man X told the story the way that it did to fit the fact that it was expected to have eight bosses and then a final gauntlet. Zero is a little more willing to break that formula in some ways. But we're not just going to be talking like structurally here or in tone. We should step back and actually talk about the way that Mega Man Zero plays. In keeping with the fact that this is the Game Boy Advance, the GBA had four buttons, A, B, L, R. As a result, this game has four different functions that you can assign to whichever button you want. Jump, attack, dash, and a dedicated sub-weapon button. Which, interestingly, the game gives you the choice of whether you want it to be like, hold that sub-weapon button and attack to use it, or press that button to attack, or even just like a weapon toggle. But yes, weapons, plural, and you may have remembered at the start of the game I mentioned, Zero picked up a gun from a fallen soldier, and then he got his Z-Saber during the opening boss fight. There's actually four different weapons, and you pick two of them from the main menu in this game. Your buster basically acts like you would expect very traditional Mega Man buster to act, firing off simple pellets. Very poor damage, but it is the only fully ranged weapon that you have. There's the Z-Saber which starts off immediately feeling to me a little bit more fluid than Zero had it feel in the original games, like in the X series. There's a little bit less, like, stopping to your movement and a little bit more fluidity that is... It's very subtle, but when I've been talking about, like, Zero doesn't feel the greatest to control during the X games, it's because my brain was remembering how Zero feels to play in the Zero games, and it is an improvement. Later into the game, we can also get the Triple Rod, a spear that can be aimed in any direction, including diagonally, and we get the Shield Boomerang, which basically acts as, like, literally a shield against projectiles that, if you hold it out and charge it up for a couple seconds, can be thrown out and circle back to you as a boomerang. There's two extra layers to this as well. The first is the element chip system. We don't get these right away, but three of the bosses in the game drop fire, ice, and lightning chips that allow us to elementally infuse our weapons. Then, hitting with charged attacks from these weapons causes them to deal extra damage against targets of, like, the next element in the rock-paper-scissors order, which I always have to mentally remind myself that the order is fire melts ice, because the remaining prongs are ice beats electric and electric beats fire, and I just, my brain just doesn't have a logical explanation for why that works, but it is rock-paper-scissors, it is deterministic. Second, we can get some additional moves for our various weapons, but rather than getting them from bosses, we get them by continuing to use the weapons. All of the weapons in this game have an experience system. The more times that you strike enemies using these weapons, Zero remembers how to use them well. For instance, after you have damaged enough enemies with your buster, you'll be able to fire off more shots on screen at a time, and eventually you'll learn how to charge it up and even how to charge it up faster. Your Z-Saber, Zero will quickly start to remember how to do multi-hit combos, he'll remember how to do like big sweeping aerial swings he'll remember how to eventually charge it up and get a big slap with that the triple rod you get the ability to like extend it outwards to allow you to actually get some decent range while staying on the ground which is great for aerial enemies and the shield boomerang eventually becomes a projectile that can go all the way across the street when thrown this is a neat idea but um yeah it kind of involves some grinding 
If you want to actually max out pretty much any of these weapons, you're going to have to use it more or less exclusively throughout the entire game on a standard playthrough, or you're going to have to go out of your way to find enemies to just repeatedly beat up, because one of the things in this game is you can't just go back to previous stages or areas and go exploring them on your own without any sort of mission ticking along. In fact, I'll mention this here, many of the areas that you go to in this game are literally physically linked to the Resistance base. You can walk out of the base and straight into the stage in some of the instances. Some of them are separated off by teleporters, but it's sort of expected that you do this. If you want to max any of these weapons, you're pretty much going to have to do this. I think I, like, barely maxed out the sword on one playthrough of this game, using it as my weapon almost the entire time. There is a New Game Plus as well that you could take advantage of and just keep growing and growing, so that's a thing too, I suppose. Mostly it, in terms of, like, weaponry in this game. You might notice that that means there isn't a whole lot from bosses. Like, yeah, there's the elemental chips, and technically the triple rod and shield boomerang are tied to defeating certain bosses and stages, but, um, yeah, one of the core features of Mega Man is just gone in this game. It comes back in the rest of the Mega Man Zero series, as far as I can remember, but for Zero One, it's just gone. Also gone are features like heart tanks, sub-tanks, armor part upgrades. In its place is the new Cyber Elf system. You'll find Cyber Elves all over the place. Some of them are located in capsules at fixed locations, some of them are dropped by bosses, some of them are dropped by enemies after you kill a certain number of enemies. And this is the game's upgrade system. The game says that there's three different types of Cyber Elves, nurses, animals, and hackers, but you can kind of think of them as one-time-use consumables or as upgrades that you then pay into in order to activate. The first type, the one-time consumables, are essentially like you might have cyber elves that say, hey, you can use me to recover your health, or hey, if you use me, I'll turn all enemies on the screen into just useless metars, and so on and so forth. You can equip up to three of them to bring into a stage with you, and then you can activate them once. Ever. Once a cyber elf has been used in this way, that's it, they are gone. So pick and choose very carefully when you want to use these ones. The other type are ones that you will have to feed. You'll have to collect energy crystals as you go through the stages, and then feed these energy crystals to the Cyber Elves, and they will allow you to consume them to gain some sort of permanent boost. This covers things like the old permanent max health upgrades that would have been accomplished by heart tanks, boosted defenses, faster movement, access to sub-tanks, all these sort of things that traditionally would have been you know, just found in the X stages. Now you have to find them somewhere and then pay the energy crystals to evolve these cyber elves and gain the benefits. Now, I will say this system is filled with a lot of excessive cyber elves. Like, there are ones that extend mission time. This only matters for, like, two timed missions in the entire game. Or, like, most of the regular enemies in this game are not that threatening. Are you ever really going to use the ones that turn enemies into metars? Probably not. But it's not a bad system, or it wouldn't be if the energy crystal cost was realistic. The biggest problem with Zero One Cyber Elf system is that if you do decide to actually invest and obtain any of these permanent benefits that you found, and you will find some good ones just playing casually. They don't hide away all of the good ones. If you want to actually take advantage of them, you oftentimes need a 1,000, 2,000 energy crystals in order to upgrade them. In one playthrough, where I did nothing but the stages required to beat the game, I collected about 800. That's about enough for one heart tank cyber elf. If you wanted to actually get all the cyber elves and max out your power and fully upgrade yourself, it's about 23,000 energy crystals, not counting another 4,000 for the secret super elf that is unlockable post-game. <laughs> Mega Man Zero wants you to grind more than the actual RPG-style Battle Network spin-offs did. You don't have to. Don't get me wrong, you absolutely do not have to, but also, when I was a kid, you bet I absolutely needed to get all of these upgrades to have any realistic chance at beating this game, because um, by the end of the game, bosses have learned to do a fourth or even a third of your HP per hit. Oh, and then there's the other new feature of the Zero series, which is the ranking system. 
X5 and X6 had like a hunter rank system or was trying to have one that didn't really accomplish all that much. Zero finally makes it a formal ranking system that shows off your statistics at the end of a stage. This is based on things like number of enemies killed, amount of damage taken, number of lives used, clear speed of the stage. There's even a mission-specific score we'll get into it in a bit, but some of these missions aren't necessarily as binary as simply get to the boss and defeat them. Sometimes, for instance, in the opening stage, you have to protect Ciel as you guide her out, and anytime she takes damage, you lose a couple points off this mission score. This rating ultimately goes anywhere from 0 points, which is an absolute failure, to 100 points, which is considered an S rank. Anything above 80 gets you an A rank, and you maintain a rank based on the average of all the levels that you've completed up to that point. I did go for an A rank in this playthrough because as a kid I had an absolutely miserable time with this game and I wanted to see how much I had improved. Turns out I had improved quite a bit. However, part of the reason that my rank was so atrocious the first time through as a kid was that one of the factors that works into your rank is, did you use any Cyber Elves? If you use any of the consumable Cyber Elves, you will incur a penalty on that stage. If you use any of the permanent upgrade Cyber Elves, you will incur a penalty forever. In fact, that penalty can get up to like minus 50 or worse, basically preventing you from obtaining high ranks if you use too many of these things. It's a dumb decision, and it's, it's a good thing it's an optional system. The only thing that it changes in this game is that if you are at an A or S rank average when you fight various bosses, almost all the bosses in the game actually have additional new attacks that they will only use while you are at a high rank. Which makes this kind of an interesting auto-adjusting difficulty because generally these are the most dangerous attacks that bosses have. But that's also basically all that it does, and like, given that you can permanently screw yourself out of getting a high rank, it probably is a good thing, but... I don't know. It's it's neat to have the ranking system, but I think having Cyber Elves affect it shoots it in the foot, and it doesn't accomplish much. And anyway, point is, the Zero series puts us in control of a very melee-focused character, ditches the traditional Mega Man weapons, gives us a radically different upgrade system and a ranking system and stuff. It's a very high-action, high-speed sort of game, and let's now dig into the main plot of things. So, now that we're back at the Resistance base, our first mission that CL will send us on, because she acts basically as our mission control, is to go rescue a bunch of Reploids from a disposal center. I'm going to mention all these stages more by what their core gimmick is going forward, because the reality is that most stages in this game rely on some gimmick of the mission in order to actually give it all that unique of a design. The actual stage design and enemy layouts and stuff in these stages is actually really, really basic most of the time. However, there's usually some additional mission gimmick that is factoring in. In this case, it's that once we reach the boss, we are on a press that is headed down towards a bunch of Reploids at the bottom, and if we fail to defeat the boss in time, we will lose our mission bonus, those Reploids will have been crushed, etc, etc, you get the drill. The boss is Aztec Falcon, though this boss's name resembles something out of the X-Series, as we get moving, you'll find that bosses have a little bit more variety to their names in this game. For an early boss, Aztec Falcon is actually pretty difficult. This comes from a combination of factors. You have a very small arena, he has like a lightning coil weapon that he also is able to defend himself with, in addition to firing off projectiles and stuff. It's just long enough to outrange your sword, such that it is very difficult to get in safely and attack him, but your buster isn't doing much damage at this point in the game either, especially if you didn't grind out to be able to charge it up. So it leaves you in a very difficult position, and he's actually a very brutal first boss. This is compounded by the fact that after this stage, CL will let us pick where we want to go, but that's after this stage that we can do that. If you can't beat Aztec Falcon, you don't have a whole lot of options to, like, go looking for Cyber Elves to get extra health, or, like, you can't go get Elemental Chips to gain an advantage over him or anything like that. A lot of players have a lot of difficulty with this boss, and, like, Zero in general, the bosses are actually 
pretty difficult. They are the main highlight of this game. If the stages are simple, the bosses are difficult due to fairly high damage, lots of variety in moves, and just really expecting you to use your full range of mobility. Not unfairly so, they generally do telegraph their attacks, but a lot of bosses are capable of being flinched if you hit them at certain times, which can knock them out of attacks, but they also have significant invincibility frames that allows them to start up the next attack well before you can flinch them again, and almost none of them in this game go into a predictable pattern after being hit. So you will need to like strike and back off, wait and see what they do, and then find the opening in that to get back in and attack for significant damage. Generally speaking, I have a positive view of the bosses in this game. And I do like Aztec Falcon quite a bit, but he is a very rough early difficulty spike for many players. Anyway, we finish that first slash second stage, and at this point CL finally starts giving us choices of missions. This isn't just like a stage select of like eight robot masters to go defeat. It's like three to four different missions we'll have the option to select between at a time, with different ones unlocking different missions set in roughly the same place that follow up on the events of those original missions. For instance, one mission we can go take is to go do Retrieve Data, which sends us back to the opening stage, now played in reverse, where we have to dodge a little bit more obstacles on the way and eventually fight Maha Sheriff, a giant elephantoid reploid who is only vulnerable in his head. He has attacks that make you want to play keep away with him. He can like roll himself into a ball and slam around invincibly for a little bit, but he's not that difficult. And after defeating him and making an escape sequence back out of the stage at the last moment, this is the mission that finally allows us to get the shield boomerang and the triple rod from the weapons developer at the base. The next location that we'll head to is the train missions. The first mission we head through in Old Abandoned Subway and eventually catch a ride on a train just as it departs, and then we're given a limited time to make it to the front of the train and destroy its engine in order to stop it. The engine itself functions as the boss of this, because not every boss in the Mega Man Zero games is necessarily a reploid like you would have expected out of like the classic series or the X series. This is basically a limited room where the engine itself can attack with flame jets periodically, or it will attempt to, like, lift up the pistons in the floor to try to slam and crush you in the ceiling. As the fight goes on, the engine moves a little bit forward and forward so that you have less room to actually dodge. It would be a really easy fight, but it is pretty easy to accidentally get yourself sort of cornered and instant killed if you're not really careful about it, so... Then, after we finish this mission, we can return to the subway on a rescue mission, which is what I mean about these missions being two-parters. It starts off at the train platform, and because we, you know, messed everything up on the train on our way out, now those train tracks are a bunch of, like, broken runes that are kind of reminiscent of the original X1 opening stage that we platform across. At the end, we encounter the first of X's four guardians, Harpuya, who act as, like, our major four bosses that we need to hunt down. Harpuya is a largely airborne boss associated with the electric element who flies around a lot and has like a pair of beam sabers of his own. A lot of his dives come with like big saber slash attacks. He has whirlwinds he can throw at you. He is sort of one of the easiest bosses in the game. Whenever you strike him with your saber, you knock him to the ground and he proceeds to do a sequence of like extremely predictable slash wave attacks before flying up into the air with a final wave attack. If you can keep him in this pattern, it's not easy. Dodging these wave attacks is actually non-trivial. It's predictable, but it's non-trivial and it is easy to screw up. But if you can keep him in this loop, he is like one of the only bosses in the game that can be looped. Another location that we'll visit for two different missions is the Energy Factory. The first time through, this is kind of a traditional feeling X stage. It even has, like, platforming over pits and stuff in the later half of it. The big gimmick here is that you actually have two different entrances into the factory. In the main one, you're going to have to watch out for security cameras, while as if you find the way to the alternate entrance, you just bust in through some vents and get to skip that bit. At the end, we fight the factory's defense system, which is this, like, large floating orb that actually has multiple deployable dragon heads. Each of these sets of dragon heads is associated with a different element and will attack in a predictable manner, but different from one another. Its design reminds me more of, like, one of the fortress stage bosses in the classic Mega Man games, as opposed to a Reploid. And again, this, this boss variety is something that I think really suits Zero. The second time we come back there, two seconds in, you are attacked by the stage's boss, Phantom of X's Guardians. 
He is a completely non-elementally aligned ninja-themed reploid, who, as you might imagine, it's focused around, like, he creates shadow doppelgangers where you have to use subtle visual tells to determine which one to strike. He, like, throws a giant shark and then he jumps around on, and if you happen to be at A or S rank, he even has a move where he, like, makes the screen go dark and completely vanishes, and you have to watch for where he's attacking from and attack that space even though you can't see him. But that's just the start of the revisit stage, because as he goes away, he informs us that he set up bombs all throughout this factory that we're now using. So we have to run through the factory and find a whole bunch of hidden bombs and disarm them within a time limit. This one I know was frustrating for a lot of people, because one of the bombs is located in a spot that is like, kind of hidden. You have to deliberately climb up a section in the roof that you might not realize is there in order to find one of the bombs. I remembered that, so I didn't have too much trouble with this mission, but I remember having a lot of problems with this mission as a kid. It's probably the hardest level in the game. Finally, there's a grand total of four missions set in the desert. Now, the first time that we go out to the desert, it's pretty much just a linear right-to-left track across this area, where it's more the enemies that make it a little bit more distinctive, things like traps on the ground, and enemies burrowing out of the sand, and background elements of, like, fallen shuttles and stuff, but it is still a pretty simple level. At the end of it, we fight Anubis Necromancist III, that's a name, who is probably one of the more memorable minor bosses of Zero. He floats around at the edges of the screen, summoning up, like, reploid zombies and stuff to attack you or throwing his staff. After you damage him a few times, he vanishes into the sand and tries to crush you with various pillars that he makes pop out. He's easy once you learn his patterns. Something about his design and just the way that he attacks is really memorable. Afterwards, you'll have to escort a reploid back from the crash site all the way back to the start of the stage, and this one can really suck depending on how many of the enemies you destroyed on the way. So. You know, just just escort mission problems. Um, not a fun finale to the stage. The second time we come through here, we're fighting our way through an attack. Enemies are absolutely just spammed at you every couple feet in this stage. Once we reach the end of the stage again, this time we fight Fefner, the third of the Guardians, and the fire-aligned one. And he is like a hot-headed warrior who does a lot of like ground slams, charges where he can grab you and throw you into the air. He can also generate fireballs and stuff. The big trick of this fight is that every once in a while he'll start like visibly glowing white, and this will cause his next attacks to be empowered, and you have to, like, give them a lot more space and respect in order to safely dodge them. No tricks, no easy methods to defeating him, you just gotta get good. There's also a separate branch that emerges in the desert, which involves us going partway into the stage only to discover a hidden path that leads to an underground base. The first time that this happens, we head down to find a frozen underground lake, we climb up partway through that lake into a hidden jail, we free a bunch of reploids, and then we fight the boss, Blizzak Stagroff. For being a big ice elemental boss that you would expect to be like the big slow type of this game, he's actually primarily focused on projectiles. He has has like big jumps where he'll throw an ice ball at you. He has a giant ice beam that both slows down your movement the longer that you're in it and also comes with like icicle projectiles during it. He's a pretty easy boss as far as this game goes, but it's it's an interesting shakeup of expectations. Finally, our fourth desert mission sends us back down to the underground lake, which is now defrosted. We'll have to like do a bunch more platforming and cut through more enemies down there to get on board some submarines to climb back up to the base. Once we do it this time, we have to literally walk through a wall in the base in order to find a secret room with some computers that we destroy. Then we leave that room, start heading back, and as we get back down into the lake, we're attacked by the last of X's guardians, Leviathan. 
She is the ice elemental boss, as you might imagine, and she swims around giving her a ton of freedom of movement that you don't necessarily have. She can, like, create a bunch of ice crystals to rain down at you or to fire at you or even a giant ice dragon that tracks you. The secret is, though, is that if you have a chargeable sword or really any high damage that can flinch her, just constantly beating on her keeps her from, like, getting far enough into any of her attacks to really do all that much most of the time. So, as long as you're actually hyper aggressive against her, she doesn't get a whole lot of chance to do much. That covers the missions that we select from. There is an additional short mission that comes up halfway through the game, where we teleport back to the um, the crushing facility from the start and play that stage backwards as we chase after a giant mechanoloid that is headed towards the base and have to destroy it from behind. But that's a pretty trivial and minor mission, and honestly, you could forget it's there. And then, as we finish up all the actual missions, we actually get an attack on the base itself. In this mission, we actually run around the base defeating enemies, restoring power to the elevator, and then eventually chasing down the leader of the evasion, Infernape, sorry, Sun Wukong, sorry, Hanu Machine, a fire monkey with the traditional Sun Wukong giant extending staff. He's a really fast boss who, like, jumps around all over the place. He can charge up his staff to gain some surprising range. It's one of those fights that's very fast and will be over pretty quickly one way or another, but is a fair amount of fun. Once that's over and that danger has passed, CL finally starts to open up to us about some stuff that maybe she hasn't been fully transparent about. See, it turns out CL might have created Neo Arcadia, actually, and she might have also created X. Now, this isn't a retcon. It turns out the X that leads Neo Arcadia is actually a copy. CL created a fake X to lead Neo Arcadia in the image of the legendary Maverick Hunter himself, in the belief that instilling a Reploid with a strong sense of justice would lead to people having safety and everything. But it turns out this copy X is so convinced of his own justice that he's willing to throw aside the rest of Reploid kind in order to protect humanity, and, you know, this is all kind of backfired. Zero wants to go defeat X in order to give the Resistance the freedom so CL can go and search out an alternative energy source and solve this whole problem from the root, but they can't get to Neo Arcadia safely, until the mysterious figure from the start of the game, who previously gave Zero his Z-Saber, shows up again, and basically is like, hey, I've set it up so you can teleport directly into Neo Arcadia's core, go nuts. Long story short, they don't outright say it at this point, but they make it pretty damn clear that actually that is the spirit of the original X, asking us to defeat his copy. And so, this leads us to our finale of the game, Neo Arcadia. Like most fortresses, Neo-Arcadia is divided into three stages, though we do have the ability to return to the base, save, re-equip ourselves, etc. between each stage. Stage 1 is a gauntlet stage, where we climb up the outside of some Roman-inspired style of runes, and we have to fight three different bosses as we go through. One is a pair of aerial soldiers that is pretty easy to defeat. One is this, like, multi-bladed guardian thing that spends a lot of its time actually just spinning like a top. Both of these are pretty easy, but they can rack up a lot of damage on you, and I don't think there's any guaranteed health pickups until after the second one, so that can be a little rough. And then the third, Herculeos Ancus, an electric boss who has, like, simple moving projectiles and also various, like, charge attacks around the arena. He's kind of reminiscent to the first boss, but he lacks the, like, keep away weapon that the first boss had that made him so difficult, so he's pretty easy. The real challenge here is just making it through this entire stage in one go. Stage 2 is a semi-auto-scroller as you ride an elevator up at the first half, and then has a very traditional Mega Man-feeling segment focused on riding elevators and jumping around spikes and, you know, all that good classic fortress stuff. 
It's spicy, it feels like the easiest stage in the game to get instant killed on, but it is over fairly quickly. At the end of it, we fight the Zero Series' equivalent of the Yellow Devil in the Rainbow Devil, which is a blob in which floats a, like, damaged head of just a generic soldier reploid. It's much smaller, and because there is a floating head within it that is the weak point, that head is always visible and always damageable, which makes this fight way more bearable. But it is a scary fight, because this thing can be, like, sort of all over the place at once, diving around and splitting itself into, like, consecutively smaller blobs and stuff. I know a lot of people also have a lot of trouble with this boss, especially because if you haven't gotten any Cyber Elf upgrades to your HP, you can take two hits safely from this dude. A third hit is enough to kill you, and that's not much at all. Finally, we hit our third stage, which is the finale stage you can expect. It's a little bit of enemies, and then we have refights with four of the bosses, and then a little bit more enemies, and then refights with the four ex-guardians, and then a little bit more enemies, and then we finally get our showdown with Copy X, who has also had a little bit of a redesign. Many of the traditional blue armor pieces are there, but much like Zero, he has a black bodysuit underneath now. I'm sure that design similarity means nothing. But while he may be a copy, he considers himself a superior to the original, a more perfect version, arguing that he was able to do what X and Zero never could, which was create a paradise for humans. Nonetheless, you know, it's time for a fight, and this is our typical two-phase X-style final boss. In the first phase, we fight Copy X himself. The basic idea is Copy X has a slide kick attack, a Nova Strike-style air dash that we have to dive under, and shots on either the ground or in the air that can potentially be charged to have different effects. To complicate this, he also occasionally changes between normal electric fire and ice, and each of these give his shots different properties. For instance, in ice, it fragments out into a bunch of just pieces when it hits a wall or the floor. Or like, the flamethrower attack that he does jets out and like curves upwards or downwards in a different arc from the rest of the shots. It's generally not too difficult of a fight, and when you learn the rhythm of like interrupting his attacks and stuff, and when to back off, there's a lot of variability, but it is a surprisingly fair fight. The biggest rudeness is that if you are at A or S rank, near the end of the fight, he is actually likely to just use an energy tank on himself and restore like a bar of HP in its root. Afterwards, Zero taunts X, and mm, because I won't shut up about these two, I have to quote this. I may have lost my memory, but my body seems to remember. Next text box, that the original X was mightier than you. And this pisses off Copy X so much that it transforms him into a full-on, like, floating angel background boss, kind of somewhat reminiscent almost of the original Sigma's wolf armor. You'll need to dodge attacks like spreads of lasers or, like, giant lasers that light the ground on fire by jumping up on platforms at either side of X and using those to get the airtime needed to actually reach his head and strike it. It's not too bad of a fight. Most of the attacks are easy to dodge once you learn to recognize the voice clips that signal which attack is coming out. But if you have been playing aiming for a high rank and thus don't have increased life and defenses, it only takes a couple screw-ups in order to lose, and that this is like a whole gauntlet of bosses, and then Copy X and Super X, and even if you use a continue, you will be back before Copy X, it can add up. Wasn't easy, and this is definitely a fitting final challenge. Anyway, suffice to say, X doesn't believe that he's been defeated, he believes he was destined to be a hero, and Zero says that the original X wasn't that kind of naive. He didn't think he was going to be a hero, and that's why he was a hero. Copy X get naturally kind of pissed off at all this, and as his last act, basically sets the entire place to explode, and Zero is whisked away from the explosion at the last second by X's spirit. He wakes up in the desert and briefly gets to talk to X, who, like, temporarily appears in full before him. Still looking a little bit different, but feeling very naturally X. And X talks about how for the past hundred years, he's been trying to keep up the fight, even though his original body seems to have like long given up. But how it's so hard for him to keep fighting and being the hero, he kind of just wants a break. And asks Zero to take over for him for a while, and Zero's like, yeah, sure. Zero says, and I quote, so be it, but that's why we're the best partners. As a horde of Neo-Arcadian soldiers marches in on Zero, and Zero just dives into the fray, and that's it. That's where the credits roll.
So there's two things I want to touch on before we wrap this one up. First is the rewards for beating the game. There is a hard mode that is unlockable. It's not fun. The hard mode is distinguished by the fact that your weapons are permanently stuck at level 1, which just means like you never get charge shots, you never get like blade combos or anything. Nothing else changes as far as I can tell. It's just that. That's not fun to me. If you don't want to do hard mode, you can save your game's clear data and then reload it and just continue on into a new file where you keep all the cyber elves you already found and all your weapon levels and energy crystals and stuff. So I guess that's probably more of an intended how you're supposed to keep upgrading and upgrading. And if you collect all the cyber elves and finish the game and like even have upgraded all the cyber elves but never actually used any, you unlock the ability to play through the game with a secret cyber elf, and this cyber elf, once you stuff a whole ton of energy crystals down his throat, can be consumed and make it so that you are full-on invincible. Literally, you can hold the jump button and nothing will be able to hurt you, which is honestly absolutely goofy. Finish the game on that mode, and you get the ability to play on what's called Ultimate, where you just start the game with everything upgraded to max, all the Cyber Elves ready to go, already installed, just blow through the game, just have fun at that point, they don't care. So there is some replay value, whether or not you'll put in all the work for that, I don't know. The other thing that I want to discuss is the fact that it's Copy X. When Mega Man Zero was originally being developed, the antagonist was not a copy. In fact, according to the complete works for Mega Man Zero, this change was made about a month before the game's release. There was a few reasons for it, primarily being that with Capcom having decided that the X-Series would actually continue, this would interfere with any future characterization of X and such, and also it wouldn't necessarily gel well with younger fans to have their hero suddenly turn into a villain. It's an interesting thought experiment. You can still kind of see shades in it in how, like, how rushed the characterization and casual drop of CLs. Oh yeah, I made a copy of X, but I think that also provides an excellent example of why it might not have worked. And don't get me wrong, I actually really love the fallen hero archetype and stuff, but personally the part of the fallen hero archetype that interests me is coming to understand how that fall actually happens. And this first entry in the Zero series kind of just glosses over a hundred years of time having come to pass. Cyber elves are suddenly a thing. Zero is in a different body, for some reason. So much changes with so little explanation, at least in this first title, that I think that if it had have been the actual X, it would have felt really, really rushed and sudden and unfulfilling to jump directly to just, oh, surprise, the villain of the game is X. As neat of an idea as it is, and as much as I've heard a number of people over time say it probably should have gone that way, I don't think we would be looking at it quite as positively in retrospect if it actually had gone that way. Even if it would be very reasonable for, yeah, a hundred years changes people to be an explanation, this game doesn't give the focus on its existing elements that did make it into the game to really show that change in the world, I don't think it would have been shown in a fulfilling way. We would have just been told, hey, X is evil now. That wouldn't have worked. Moving away from X as a villain and just talking about the story in general, like, the story's concepts are neat. It is an interesting way to follow up on the events of X5. X5's story was still a disastrous mess, but they've just completely shoved the Sigma virus completely out of thought and just gone like, hey, what about a post-apocalyptic world? It fits because it matches the aesthetic of the game, it matches the mood of the game. It could still be seen as a little bit try-hard and edgy, and it's still kind of is. Having like 10 different characters die during the opening couple minutes of the game definitely feels out of place for Mega Man as a broader scope whole, but also really does set the tone for like, hey, this is, this is what the game is going to be. It establishes that, yeah, everything kind of sucks, and there are other things that Zero does really well. Like I said, I really love the Zero series' boss fights, and at least the Zero One boss fights are all really fun. Most of them just genuinely have to be respected and fully interacted with. There is no cheat code to get good. You can shorten the fights once you have the ability to charge your saber for high damage in the correct elemental chips, but it never trivializes them. Zero feels really good to play. The stages are at least attempting to have individual objectives that, like, shake things up, like running through disarming bombs, or, like, timed missions, or even the escorts are at least an attempt to shake things up. 
And to give a greater sense of, like, purpose to these stages, other than, like, excuse plots in the background. The things that Mega Man Zero does really well, I think it does really well. The things that Zero screws up, I think it does really drop the pooch on. Like I said early on, level design in this game is generally really simple. Like, it is some of the simplest level design overall that I think we've had in the series in a very long time. And it's amplified when you end up doing most of these stages effectively twice. But the real weakness of this game is that, like, a lot of its original systems around upgrades fall flat on their face. It doesn't feel exciting to clear a stage if the boss ends up not being, like, the boss that lets us get new weapons or the bosses that give us the elemental chips, because we just don't really get much of anything. Yeah, most bosses do drop a cyber elf instead, but those are, like, one-time-use consumables or permanent upgrades we have to go out of our way to farm for. The weapons can be improved, but we have to go out of our way to farm to actually get most of the meaningful improvements on them. That is definitely a whiff. It is a mistaken concept that didn't execute well. These things will be refined, I hope, as the series progresses, because this franchise went on to have a complete four games, but Zero One definitely has its weak points. But it's still solid. I think I actually have a better appreciation for it now as an adult than I did as a kid, both for being better able to follow along with what's going on in the story, because sometimes very big plot elements are just kind of like mentioned in a sentence and then it moves on. Plus, I have the context of X5 fresh in my mind for like how the world got to this point. And just in general, I have like a really good appreciation for the quality of the boss battles and the controls and everything, and I'm interested to see how this series develops. I remember liking Zero One a lot as a kid, but then Zero Two, Three, and Four are like a blur of half memories that I think I finished Zero Two. I don't remember if I played Three or Four much at all, so it'll be interesting to see how that all develops. Now, one thing I haven't specifically mentioned in this is the music, and that's because my maybe unpopular take is I think Zero has the worst soundtrack in the series. Yeah, even over Legends, which, like, definitely doesn't feel like Mega Man music and is oftentimes way too simplified, like, Legends wasn't great overall either. But listen, Zero is taking the GBA sound chip and using it to do a lot heavier percussion, a lot more, like, filled out and deeper tones. It should be able to create some really good stuff, and there is a couple exceptions that I am going to bring out where it succeeds. But also, a lot of it can feel really droning. Sometimes it relies on tones that are just really shrill. The loops might be not really any different in length from the Mega Man games, but oftentimes like it relies on specific small sequences repeated over and over and over again with like only a mild variance in like some accompanying note or like a real minimum of actual melody diversifying that repetitive rhythm. It just it's fine enough in the game itself, but man, I don't enjoy listening to the Zero soundtrack on its own. And that's a rarity for Mega Man. That said, I'm still going to put three tracks. The first one that I'm going to highlight is Zero's theme. The character Zero's theme. I'm going to play the Mega Man X original version of this from X1 to remind you how this sounded, and then I'm going to shift directly into the Zero version of it, and you'll be able to hear, like, just what I mean about the difference in sound font and, like, the heavy emphasis on percussion and the deeper notes and stuff.
Second, I want to highlight the music for The Factory. I think this is one of the better examples of the musical style working out. The steady rhythm is strong and driving, and it's just got a level of variety accompanying it so that the repetitive bass underlying it doesn't become too much. And finally, in a rarity for the series, I actually want to highlight the boss theme. In many ways, it is very representative of the problems with Zero's soundtrack. It is, at its core, extremely repetitive, takes a long time to find any sort of melodic variation, and yet, in this case, it's high tension and droning, like, just sense of danger and the industrial piston sound kicking on in the background constantly. I don't know. It it makes it into something that is identifiably and, like, emblematically zero to me, and this one I actually really like. And that will wrap up Mega Man Zero. These games were released in relatively quick succession, but I have been putting off the Battle Network games for long enough, and they were also happening at this time. And Legacy Collection, as of the time that this episode is uploaded, will already be out. I will already be well playing this by the time I am even done editing, so you can bet Mega Man Battle Network 2 is coming next time. Until then, if you like what you've listened to, feel free to send any emails to for at gmail.com, follow at whatamipodcast4 with the number 4 on Twitter, waipf.podbean.com if you need any sorts of RSS feeds or anything. Thanks for listening, I've been Garlisle, and just remember, if I had to fight Mavericks for like a hundred years like X did, I'd probably also really just want to be like, dude, I really just want a nap. 